had all these really clever girlfriends that had left jobs when they'd relocated back to the country. So they got married or they'd come home to look after sick parents or to take over farms or to do that relocation back. I saw that so many of them were not working in areas that they had experience in, that they were um, quite often working in jobs they were completely overqualified for or not in their industry or they weren't working at all. Hi, welcome to Life in the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling the stories of women living in regional and rural Australia. I'm Em Herbert, your host for today. The last 18 months has really thrown a spanner in the works of, well, work. It's been an unprecedented time, learning to work from the kitchen table, often amid the chaos and debris of homeschooling. However, this is the normal reality for a lot of women in the bush. While the rest of the world caught up on this thing called remote work, those on properties carried on business as usual. Someone who's been touting the benefits of remote work long before the global pandemic forced our hand is Joe Palmer. Born in Jindabyne and studying teaching in Wagga Wagga, Joe spent years travelling and working overseas. When a Wagga boy literally fell out of a pub window in front of her on a Croatian sidewalk, her fate was sealed. Jo moved back to Wagga, where she and husband Hugh raised their two little girls, Matilda and Anthea. Jo is an entrepreneur by nature. In 2017, at a backyard barbecue, she stumbled across the idea that would set the foundation for her business, Pointer Remote, connecting hundreds of people in the bush with awesome jobs across the country. Um, well, whenever I tell this story, I talk about a barbecue that I was at, and I actually am not ever disclosing that realistically it wasn't actually my idea. <laughs> I was, um, I had co-founded a, a sponsorship and event management company with a friend of mine, and I was talking at this barbecue about how awesome it was going to be that when we started making lots of money and that the business was growing, that I would employ all of my friends that had married farmers and that weren't working because they've left all these amazing big jobs and that they had all these skills and experience and they weren't using them. So I was like, I'm totally just going to tap into all of my friends. And this girlfriend that was at the barbecue, she's like, you know that that's a business in itself. Like you've got those friends, I've got those friends. People we don't know have got those friends, like they're everywhere. I was like, hmm. Anyway, my husband was also at the barbecue. He's like, stop saying things like that to her. Stop encouraging her to start other businesses. Tell her to start making money in one of them before she starts the next one. That would be boring. You're the ideas gal, Joe, I and am. your friends. I am. Well, <laughs> my friends. <laughs> Shout out to Belinda. <laughs> Uh, luckily she didn't copyright that one so you had the idea but how do you transition from having an idea to actually going for it I mean where did you even start um well as mentioned I was already running a company and that company was actually my second business that I'd started so I um it's funny I haven't come from a family of business owners or um, people that do my, my family are like wage earners. My mum was the first in her family to go to university. Like they're, they're not, they've always um, sort of worked for wages. And um, I think my motivation was that I, my career as a teacher, I really loved being in the classroom, but a lot of the bureaucracy and things that made teaching really challenging, the politics. I was always in little small schools as well. And they're like a, pressure cooker of underpaid women pretty much underpaid and overworked and so mm. I um I think I was more looking for how can I use my sort of skills that I've learned in education to do other things and so I think that had been sort of like okay well work for yourself and then just work it out so by the time it got to point of being business three I actually did things really differently which I hadn't done before which were um, I actually did an incubator program mm. um, at the co-working space in Wagga and it was an eight-week program where I went on Monday nights for two hours and I would, um, they sort of put your, your idea through the ringer and like literally the first thing I'd even written down about this business was um, into the application program uh, for this program. And it, yeah, went, went from there. I had to do a pitch night at the end of the eight weeks and 
um, the, the girls that ran the program did a really good job of pulling in all these really interesting stakeholders into the room. And I had politicians there and local business owners and things. And so even by week six of the program, I'd already launched like a very, very basic website and we had job seekers registered with us. We had a couple of local businesses in Wagga who had heard from other friends that we were doing this, had advertised jobs with us. So it was pretty crazy, like pretty crazy, but it was a really good indication of the fact like, oh, okay, this there's something in this and people are, are really, um, there's an appetite for this. But this was also in March 2017. So this is like casting your mind back to pre, pre uh, global pandemic. What so, yeah. was that? I can't I know. remember. I know. My <laughs> memories are fuzzy. <laughs> so this is a completely different world. And obviously remote working is, is so commonplace now. But what were you seeing at the time in terms of trailing spouses and, and women living on farms and this untapped brain power, basically? You know, what were you seeing in 2017? Well, I was seeing my friends. And like I mentioned, like the friends that I was talking about at the barbecue was that I had all these really clever girlfriends that had left jobs when they'd relocated back to the country so they'd left city jobs when they'd got married or they'd come home to look after sick parents or to take over farms or to do um that like relocation back Mm. and I saw that so many of them were not working in areas that they had experience in that they were um, quite often working in jobs they were completely overqualified for or not in their industry or they weren't working at all And I think um, what was the biggest mind blower for me was the fact that so many of them still had a hex debt because they just, they still hadn't worked enough in their career um, to pay off their uni degree, which some of them had finished 15 or 20 years ago. Like it's so crazy. Mm. And there are some really startling and pretty confronting statistics around the rising rates of homelessness for women who are retired or pensioner age or over 50, 60 because a lot of women have been, this, you know, the primary caretakers for children and um, have been home CEOs, as we like to call them, but mm. haven't necessarily got the the bank behind them so that if things go awry later on, they haven't got the stability or the fallback. Yeah, which is really interesting because that's a demographic that we've really seen a spike in that have actually re- registered as job seekers with us because really? they're having to re-enter the workforce and it's not... Um, like a lot of the those that we deal with re-entering have been post-babies or post-caring for someone elderly. Mm. But these are women that had finished up thinking they were okay. Mm. Um, and like even around the GFC, same deal, like super got smashed by um, just like a global financial crisis and their retirement wasn't enough to retire on anymore and having to re-enter the workforce. And then we have all of these really challenging issues around um, age discrimination. So we've got like that many, a plethora of like um, discriminations that people are coming up against. And age is somewhat thing that I just don't think has had the the spotlight on it um, as a lot of more sort of obvious things like around gender or race or Mm. sexuality even. I think Mm. that that age discrimination is something that um, is really concerning. But like when you flip it, that you can capture someone that's had this wealth of experience into your organisation. And um, I don't know, I think that remote work is another one of those real levelers that um, it doesn't actually really matter how old you are, like, you know, that that you're not being seen around the office, that that whole concept of that unconscious bias that can happen with who's hiring you, um, intimidation that can sometimes be felt by younger people hiring people that are older than them or managers that are like, oh, well, they're older than me and they're not going to fall in line, like, if I'm, if I'm managing them, that all of those sorts of challenges. And that sort of is just removed. And I think that's not just a remote work thing. I think that that's something that over the last couple of years is definitely shifting. People are realising we work differently, um, are embracing it, obviously, because we were forced to. And um, But I think that when you sort of shake out the good with the bad, the really good bits that we can hold on to are the really the things that we're really trying to, to promote um, with the organisations that we're working with. 
It would be, uh, I think, I would imagine putting myself in, say, uh, my mum's shoes or, or somebody older who has been out of the workforce for a long time, it would be an intimidating thing to re-enter, particularly around the tech required to work remotely. What do you say for women who might be perusing the pointer remote roles work uh, website and looking at jobs thinking, oh, I, I might have the skills for that, but, you know, how do they, what do you say to, to kind of help them with their confidence when applying for jobs? Oh, I think that's been actually a really interesting thing that this whole arm of the business sprouted out of that exact scenario. Like we, I feel that I launched into this and like I said, we were up and running in six weeks, but I I think very much put the cart before the horse in 2017 that we had um, a lot of people chomping at the bit to work this way. I had to pretty much push the proverbial uphill with businesses to say, yeah, you can totally hire people like this Mm. and answer literally on a daily basis. But how do I know they're working if I can't see them? What (laughs) if they're putting washing on while they're supposed to be at work? Whereas like, obviously those questions have just gone out the window now. But I think um, it doesn't have to be an age thing. It doesn't even have to be um, like an out of the workforce thing. I think, um, you know, we always hear those statistics around women being far less likely to apply for a job regardless of whether you're going into the office or doing it remotely if you don't meet all of the criteria like women like you know men will apply when they meet some of them maybe not even any of them and they generally get the job because uh the confidence is amazing (laughs) but um but women yeah they're so tentative to even to apply for jobs when they think that they don't um meet the criteria and if you put that added layer of um, a lack of confidence around technology and even just sort of like the day-to-day's culture how do you feel involved in a team and part of a team and um, so that that really um, spurred on like the education arm of our business so it was quite funny that I've been trying to avoid teaching and then ended up full circle doing um, (laughs) doing education (laughs) So we, um, it's been a bit challenging over the last couple of years running our physical workshops that we do in rural communities, um, which I'm sure we've met lots of people that are probably listening to this that we've probably been to your town. Um, but I think, and look, that wasn't lost on me either, that it seems counterintuitive to run a physical workshop on working remotely. But um, in 20, late 20, like 2017, my, the first sort of 10 or 15 minutes of our workshop was showing people how to use Zoom. Like mm. it's just so crazy that how different things um, have gone and how they've progressed so quickly. And it's so funny that um, the technology that I think frightened a lot of people previously has actually um, by osmosis they've picked it up, whether they've picked up these um these skills and tools and access to them while you've been homeschooling your kids or um, I don't know, just as technology becomes cheaper and more affordable, that concept of FaceTiming grandparents to do a bedtime story at nighttime or things. I think people um, quite underestimate that they're doing these things already. So um, in answer to, in a very long-winded answer to your question, um, what can people be doing? Well, obviously, um, you learn by doing. And I think that that is a, that's a confidence thing as well, but like jumping in, but I think being very explicit to employers that like, um, I've got the skills. I'm going to be really good at this job. Some of these things, you're just going to give me a hand, need to give me a hand on how to do for the first time, because um, I don't know what Asana is. Mm. I don't know what a Google meet is. Mm. And it's just um, really ensuring that when they don't know to ask, like, it's a very big hole to fill in, fall into if you don't sort of clarify those questions. But, you know, while that's not even remote work specific, you should be doing that with every bit of a new job anyway. And I think if you think of it being like that, it's just part of the job. Mm. I think that that's a really good way. And then my second sort of recommendation is to well, come to us, come to the website, register as a job seeker, even if you um, feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm so far from even thinking about doing this just registering and then just getting emailed jobs that will match your skill set that will just start to build your confidence that'll be like actually I can just open that up and yeah I could do that I'm not ready yet or not quite or no it's not perfect Um, and then let it go and you might not apply for a job for three or four years but I think that that really um, subtle 
confidence building and being like, wow, I can do this. And wow, there are opportunities. And that's just only going to um, improve. Yeah, completely. And I did that. I signed up with you, what, two, three years ago um, when I moved to New Zealand and there was no, there were no jobs for me locally. Like I was going to either, uh, it was a small country town and I was going to be a checkout chick. Like I just didn't have many options. And so I made a profile and ended up getting, you know, a lot of copyright copywriting or PR work so it was just having those emails ping through with just a couple of hours here six hours here contractual stuff for six weeks and it was just dipping the toe in the water to be like oh I can do this full time I can back myself 100% and I think as well don't think that what you went to uni especially if you're coming back as an older um, older like job seeker or even if you're um, looking for a, a new job don't think that you have to do it in the industry that you're trained in. I think that people are really starting to realise, particularly small businesses, they actually do really appreciate like a variety of skills. Like they, they really um, like you might have been a um, like a banker, say, with one of the big four, so you know your numbers and things, but they might actually, um, you might have also had like a little side gig doing some e-commerce things or whatever. So you might actually find that we quite often have got small businesses that are um, really chomping at the bit for a bookkeeper, that you could do some bookkeeping stuff. And then once you're actually in there, you can say, well, you know, I'm actually really good at social media or actually, do you know what? I've looked at our e-commerce on the site and it kind of sucks. So do you know what? I could get in there and fix it up. And if you think about any small business owner, if they've got someone they're already paying money to they are going to gobble up when they've got other skills so I think that that's something as well don't think that um, what your career was in prior to just don't underestimate your transferable skills yeah and I think we're seeing that uh, if if the flexibility isn't one of the options then retention staff retention is really is going down and we're seeing this what they they're titling the big quit internationally overseas and it's starting to creep into Aussie shores where people aren't going to do jobs that they don't enjoy if they don't have the flexibility to do the jobs and live, lead their lives is that what you're seeing with job seekers you know they're wanting that flexibility Hundred percent, and do you know what? Demand it because yeah. you, it is your market. Like every single organisation we are talking to is crying out for employees, and I'm talking from like small businesses through to like our corporate clients that we're going to be working with shortly. Like they just they've got some of them have got fifteen hundred open jobs at a time. Like it's just bonkers. So that you if you are not happy and you're not getting the flexibility that you um, want and that works also don't turn into like this monster that's like everyone else can work remotely but you've got like you're you're a hairdresser you kind of still need to turn up to work but (laughs) um, I think that what's really interesting is that this this great resignation they're talking about I I can remember sort of saying it things maybe 12 months ago that people would ask that like do you think this will be the shift and I, I sort of would my response was I think business owners will get 12 to 18 months out of people where they just ignore this and pretend it'll go away and when things get back to normal like when things get back to normal and then I think in that 12 to 18 month period all of their good staff will be like you know what our competitors are like totally flex on this like I can get a far better work-life blend working for someone else I'm out Mm -hmm. Um, like I think that insecurity and um, people wanting job security for that sort of last 12 or 18 months um, has really demonstrated that people sort of sat put for a little bit. But um, I didn't realise that, well, like March, March 2022 is when they're saying so. But beware if you're a business owner that's uh, that's not sort of having your um, like staff front of mind and, and how you're going to actually retain them. Yeah. Um, it's actually happened sooner than I thought. Like I, I actually thought businesses had a bit longer to sort of bumble through, but I think that um, what everyone's going to have to start looking at is how can you actually really actively be looking at how can we bring flexibility into our business? And it doesn't, like it genuinely doesn't have to mean like, okay, everyone on the books gets to work from home all the time. Like majority of the time people don't actually want that. They kind of want that 
hybrid thing where they can either come in or they can go and work at a co-working space a couple of days a week or just trying to have some form of work-life blend. I think that's what people are really craving now because I don't know, you know, you read it everywhere that people have really reassessed life values in the last two years and what is actually important to me and mm-hmm. is sitting two hours each way on a train into the CBD to do a non-client facing job, sitting in a pod um, with people with headphones on and you're not even interacting with your colleagues. Like that's so not appealing for mm-hmm. Metro-based people mm-hmm. and um, you know, we've got people in the bush that have been doing this for a long time and they're really experienced. They've got the communication skills. They've got the tech skills. They've got all this because we've actually been doing this for ages. Like, and I always felt a bit guilty when people sort of would, like when we first started up, they're like, wow, this is so like innovative and new and things. And I was like, oh, like, man, you've got people like Georgie Somerset who's been working remotely for 30 odd years. She used to just carry around her, her fax machine instead of doing emails. <laughs> like, um, I think I think that that's something that, that people in, in rural areas, um, you've got these skills. And again, going back to your confidence question, things like don't underestimate how many of these skills you've got. Mm. Today's episode of Life on the Land is brought to you by SkyMesh. Do you need access to fast, reliable internet service at your regional home or business? Join Australia's most awarded specialised rural internet provider that's trusted by over 45,000 Aussies. Secure your free NBN SkyMuster or fixed wireless internet installation today on a no-lock-in contract. Plans start from just $34.95 per month with Brisbane-based seven days a week support. Make the switch today and access better internet for your home or business. Visit skymesh.net.au and get connected or call 1300 759 637 now. Service availability is determined by NBN. I completely agree and I think of all the women I know who do the books on the farm and why couldn't they do the books for other people if they want to and be paid for them if they want to and we look at this idea of crisis proofing and national disaster proofing and you know remote work really does play into this conversation and this narrative around how we look after ourselves during times of drought or flooding rains or bushfire. 100%, 100%. So if you do the books on your farm and you're confident, even better, if you're like a bass agent, please come and register with us. We've literally got um, businesses and a lot of farming businesses that will come and do exactly that, that they, um, the skills that they have are out in the yards or out doing the physical stuff and they don't have the know-how or the passion or the kind of drive to do that book work side of things like why not pick up another couple of farms, get paid for it? Like even if that's your grocery money each week, like that's something that when it doesn't rain because it'll happen again and um, or something bad. Yeah, or or it rains too much. um, That you've got that confidence in that 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 income is coming um, coming through. And like you said, that that comfort, that concept of, of drought or dis- disaster proofing whole communities, that's where we are like, this has just so much potential to really make an impact and that we then um, are not, so we, us as, as a, a regional or rural community are not dependent on um, government handouts and things like that. I'm not saying stop them because they're also fabulous and they, they do have play a, a role, but um People in general don't really like getting handouts. People like to be able to say, like, I can get through this myself. I can I can do this. And I, I really feel that remote work's got a really major role to play in that and just smoothing out, smoothing out lumpy cash flow for mm. families, but for communities as well. Because you know, when when cash flow is good at home, um, you're spending it in your town. Being able to support them still depends on people having enough extra cash, that disposable income to spend it in those, those sort of more. Um, nice to have categories of spending. 
Yeah, totally. And I really, uh, you know, there has been a bit of talk around this reverse brain drain where previously a lot of uh, small rural communities or regional centres would lose their kind of best or brightest who flock to the city for these jobs. And now that they're potentially able to be done remotely or at least partly remotely, people are staying locally. And and how do you see this uh, aiding to the or abetting the vibrancy of a community when teachers are retained or kids are going to local schools? What what do you see happening in communities in, in the bush? Oh, well, I think those are, you've just nailed it. Those are like when I was, when I was teaching. So prior to avoiding teaching, when I was actually teaching two of the schools that I taught in closed, like we didn't have enough kids at the, at the school to stay open. And I know a lot of people listening would have been in communities and it's like one of those things with the school closing, there is some serious finality around what life in that town looks like. And it's, grim and it's devastating and they are such a like a a heartbeat of a town and such a a core well obviously education hub but also a social hub and a community hub and those sorts of things and it's really tough when a school closes and I know especially with agriculture getting sort of bigger and less jackaroos and and less managers and things um, you quite often will see that that sort of shifting around of people but I think that this again that opens up opportunities for when in a past so yes in agriculture attracting a family is awesome but in any rural um, community um, with organizations so it might be the doctor or the post office or whatever, if you can attract someone new to the town is amazing. But quite often in the past, the challenge was that it was all well and good for the person that got the job, but then what did that trailing spouse do? And Mm. um, again, that's the same thing in defence as well. Defence spouses that follow around from base to base that they would try and get cafe work or, I don't know, multi-level marketing to other spouses on the base, which, um, which I think gets pretty tiring for a lot of them pretty quickly. But being able to take a job with you is just this most amazing um, way for well, supporting that family, but also supporting you as an individual. Like mm. we've had some pretty, um, pretty sad um, sort of situations that people that sort of get in touch when they're registering with us and talking about um, is like, do you get jobs that, that could we only be done in school hours or that I can do sort of um, secretly or could we arrange things so that pay slips don't ever come to the house? Because we've got women in like domestic violence situations who are looking to remote work to get money, earn money that they can then, that's their exit plan once they've sort of got some some money in the bank. And so it's this whole, like I said, when I sort of, started the business thinking oh look all my very clever university qualified tertiary yeah tertiary educated friends wanted to work but there's this whole other demographic of people that this is just such an amazing opportunity for them to access the workforce and doing it for a variety of different reasons as well yeah it's a really nuanced conversation do you only have to be tertiary educated to apply are there jobs available uh, no, not at all. You don't have to be. Um, I think what has been interesting over the, the sort of first few years, like I said earlier, was, it was really challenging to sort of get the businesses to employ with us in the first place because they would constantly throw barriers up of why, why it wouldn't work. And, um, and so quite often um, the, the jobs that we were advertising were jobs that were actually relatively conducive to remote work or the industries that they might have actually already been doing things. So you think of your accounting, we've mentioned bookkeeping, um, things like PR or or copywriting. You're a perfect example of this, of of careers and industries that um, traditionally, yeah, actually are quite good to work as far as remotely. And so by default, a lot of those careers we were advertising were tertiary, required tertiary qualifications or some form of qualifications. But I think what's been really interesting is that while obviously that's still a major focus, we're working with some really big, we've got things in the pipeline with some really big organisations where they're literally looking for all levels of employment. So um, from admin through to like contact centre things, like some of the big banks that are looking at bringing all of their call centre jobs back on shore because like over the last two years they've had so much of a challenge with the, those workers being um, in 
third world countries where mm. the management of COVID hasn't been so fabulous and so the consistency where you would normally have that there um, they're not finding and and look, a lot of the the branding they're trying to sort of go back. Like I feel like the Australia made and the mm. provenance of food and products and services and things has become such a really big highlight um, for organisations to be able to say like all of our contact centre staff are Australian or even better, they're based in rural Australia and they're yeah. spending their wages in those towns. Like mm. this the is like are important. 100%, 100%. And it's a really good, not only a good PR exercise for them, but it's also um, quite often a really good um, customer experience. Like how funny to sort of have someone answer the phone from like Walgett and say, yeah. hi, how are we going? And yeah, oh, are you having yeah. trouble with your bill? It's Barb oh, okay, from cool. Casino. <laughs> I don't know. I love that. I love that. Yes. Um, I love that. Yeah, it's, I think, um, where a lot of people sort of went for that that virtual assistant or that that PA or that bookkeeping and things, um, a lot of people are, are starting to say, okay, do you know what? Like, I'm not going to offshore that job. I'm going to actually try and hire an Australian. And what we're really trying to market that is that that Australian could actually be based in a rural community. And not only um, is it great that you're getting a talented professional Australian to, to work in your business, but sell it like promote the fact that um that that's where your team lives that mm. that you're based in the in the country and for a lot of look this is something we've talked to um our metro customers a lot about is that um a third of the country lives in regional australia like quite often you're trying to sell products to us yeah. that you actually don't know how we function because everyone is city-based that works for you no one's actually really got any experience on how we do shop differently we make purchases differently we do business differently and if you've got some of your staff that are actually um, not only just from there but actually living there like you just the opportunities to just a totally um, well opening up a, a customer market for you as well by having those people on your team is just you know, you know it's like you know their shit Hundred percent. It's like, why do we need women on boards? Why do we need women in leadership decision, like positions and things? It's because women think differently, and women and make decisions and do things in a different way. And so that diversity of thought that comes with it. And so, I'm a really big advocate for this concept of geographic diversity. And like, mm. how do we get that on the agenda, especially for corporates? Like. We're doing a lot of work around gender diversity and, again, ethnic diversity and sexuality diversity and things, but I genuinely think that that's something that I would really like to see. How amazing if you've got like an ASX-listed company that's in their annual report not only noting what their percentage of staff are women, but like how many of those staff have got a rural postcode. Like so good. Yeah, very cool. And, you know, it's not um, this kind of, in air quotes, quota. Quotas work and they're there for a reason because they normalise what was previously not normal and that's really important to have that attitudinal shift and that mindset change. But this decentralisation isn't a pity party. You're employing these rural and remote candidates because they're the best at the job because they have the mm. skills which I think is mm. really important and I really like how the buy from the bush narrative has really cemented this idea that where you it might it's its place of origin might have been because you know communities in the bush were in crisis because of drought but now people are buying from there because the products are premium and luxury and it's exactly the same for for your candidates because they're mm. really good yeah, hashtag employ from the bush. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's get that rolling. It's really amazing, though, to see what you can do when you have to. And I think COVID has pushed that hard. What has the emotional roller coaster been like for you and for Pointer in the, in the past 18 months? Mm, um, to be honest, it's been, oh, there's been some pretty grim days, as I'm mm. sure. Um, well, any, I was going to say, anyone in business but look let's be honest anyone in general um I think it's been um it's been interesting in that like I am so stoked with what's happened for the concept of remote work on a global stage like I have had this realization that I was living in this complete fantasy world of how um, I was going to change mindsets and that we were going to see systemic change in corporate Australia and they were all going to be hiring rurally. Um, 
I'm sure if there hadn't been a global pandemic, I would have just kept chipping away at it. And um, But I genuinely did not realise how big a, like... Area that is. Well, yeah, but just how something so dramatic was going to happen, had to happen in order to change the mindsets that have now been changed. And mm. for say... So, you know, when I when I did my pitch night at the end of my eight weeks, I was like, right, corporate Australia, come and hire us. We're um, like, right, corporate Australia, come and hire this amazing talent pool that we've got out here. And they actually, it was like crickets from the corporates. They were not interested. They were like, why would we do that when we can have all the people that can just come into the office that we've spent millions of dollars on the fit out? Like they just didn't want a bar of it. Like we had, you know, the odd one that would come through, but where we saw such a big uptake was in that that small to medium-sized business um, where they were like, oh, I get this. Like we actually can't get people to move to our town. Like this is a great idea. This is a good way for me to um, get talent into my business. Um, and it's only just been in the last sort of six months that, like I mentioned before, we've had some really big businesses at that that top end of town that are like, hang on, you're talking to like a candidate pool that we have blatantly ignored. We, when we chatted last week, we were talking about how things got really difficult during that period of COVID. You know, where did things end up for you and, and how did you pull yourself back up um well like I said it was pretty grim for a while there and it was quite interesting that um you know people say like your crisis brings out best and worst and stuff in people (laughs) and I definitely saw both of that but what was really interesting that I found was that this pressure on myself um I think as well like I it, so what? So COVID was what March twenty twenty kicking in, but like in October the year before, I'd run won the Rural Women's Award, which was again getting up at Parliament House saying, "Hey, remote work something that you should all do," and everyone's like, "Oh, cute!" Like, yay! And then like six months later, they're like, "Holy shit!" Like, didn't she have a crystal ball? Like, um, and so I had people sort of saying, "Oh my God, Josh, Joe, you must be." Um, you must be killing it. Like pointer must be killing it. Like this is everyone's doing remote work now. And I was like, yeah, it's great. Oh my gosh. So anyway, but what I found really interesting um, that I hadn't really realized was that, that that sort of stress of like, oh my gosh, what is going on? What is going to happen? How am I going to do payroll this month? Mm -hmm. Um, Then starts dragging up all sorts of nasties from the the past that you sort of like don't realize exist there and mm. I don't know like I'd had a a, um, a sort of a, a trauma at university that I had literally just instead of dealing with um, just bought a plane ticket to London and moved and shelved that um, I had other sort of bits and pieces that just you know that you do that total it'll be right I'll just shovel that down deep somewhere and I found that with sort of everything going bonkers in the last um last year in particular that all this stuff sort of bubbled to the the surface and Mm. I burnt out in a mega way so I burnt out work-wise in that I was just literally burning it at both ends and doing really big days but again I was then all these weird things were happening like I sort of yeah like panic attacks and weird, just weird things that I hadn't really experienced before. And um, I very much ended up in this very broken shell of a gal sitting on the couch um, doing Zoom calls with a psychologist. And my gosh, I it was like the biggest sort of like eye-opener for me um, as far as how tricky that was to even navigate, like one sort of trying to do things like that in a pandemic, but trying to navigate mental health support when you're um, not able to be out and about, but it was a really interesting, like shining a light of like, that's a reality for so many people in rural Australia. There's not a psychologist. Like I, we live between the rock and Mangaplar and I'm half an hour from a regional centre in Wagga where there is lots of psychologists and lots of access to those sorts of things. But 
um, it was really obvious to me that like, oh my gosh, for people when they're in a time of sort of crisis and that that mental ill health that they're feeling and not being able to get help, I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is just another whole um, sort of thing that I was then like, just, again, this is like the level that I was at where I was then feeling guilty that I could get an appointment with the psychologist. <laughs> but, but imagine all of those people that can't, like it was like, oh, I can't eat my dinner because there's starving children in Africa. Like that's the hole that I was in. I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. But I think um, it has been really, really good. Do you know what? It was like the rock bottom that I needed to have. Like I know that one really wants to do that, but it really, it really, really was because going and now um like a lot of my appointments I have them literally I have a monthly standing appointment with my psychologist that we do via zoom every time um she actually ended up moving from Wagga so she doesn't live here anymore so um we do do things on the on a video call anyway but like it's just I don't know that things falling in a complete heap as far as work actually then got me sorting out a whole lot of stuff that I hadn't dealt with whatsoever that I didn't realize how much was impacting on me and decisions that I'd been making for years and um, different relationships and um, like yeah just it it, it's been a really interesting time Mm. yeah oh thank you so much for sharing that I I think that takes a lot of courage but I also think it's very helpful for other people to realise that, you know, they may not be alone with what they're experiencing, whether that is a panic attack when dropping your kid off at nursery or just this feeling, these deep feelings of overwhelm, which I think so many of us are experiencing in this time, particularly with such times of uncertainty. And I was listening to a podcast actually with the psychologist um, Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And he was talking about, he was looking at uh, 2021 and COVID and this pandemic through the lens of how if you have had a previous trauma, this is such a triggering time where we go back into our sympathetic nervous system because the body remembers and you keep this, these memories in, in our bodies. And if we don't resolve them, they come up when there's a time of great stress, which is what the last 18 months have been for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's so weird. Like me thinking like, Oh God, things are really stressful at work. Oh yeah. Trigger for something that happened to me when I was at uni, like it it totally. And that was just this whole extra layer of confusion and being like, Oh, hang on. Like, get your shit together like why are you even thinking about that like you buried that nice and deep like why are you even like giving that oxygen sort of to come um come back to the top but I think um I agree with you completely like your your head and body and that physical reaction of like you know not the not sleeping and the being off your food and all of those things that can go when you're having like these really down and sort of dark times but I think what um i've since sort of going through it i'm very vocal i still um will talk about like oh my psychologist said or when i was at the psychologist and when i say it to people they're sort of like oh like god that's kind of like you don't really talk about that you see a psychologist let alone what you told them but i think your dirty laundry yeah (laughs) yeah like we're here for the good times okay don't bring the tone down (laughs) but i think um I'm really conscious that, look, I've got, I'm a complete extrovert. I'm really like out there in in people's faces and things. And I think I've actually found it really interesting that when I do make mention of that and people are like, really, you see a psychologist? And I was like, oh, mate, like this might appear to have its like shit all together. Very much not the case. And so I think that that's really important as well because um, I don't know, like that people genuinely think that you've got it all going on and that you're organised and that mm. um, that things are all good and life is sort of all sweet and quite easy. And I think, um, like, let's be honest, I'm saying this from a very privileged white girl, middle-class, tertiary-educated, privileged position, so um, don't get me wrong on that. But I think that we are really good at thinking everyone else is fine and I'm not. And so hence me sort of shoving it down people's throats that I'm not good. 
oh. they, they find it quite helpful to be like, oh, okay, well, if she hasn't got everything sorted, then like maybe it's okay that I have these uh, these feelings as well. A hundred percent. And I think from one oversharer to another, I think this anything that can be um, contributing to the conversation around normalising prevention of mm. mental ill health, which might look like a standing appointment with your psychologist, or it might look like your weekly yoga class, or it might look like whatever it, whatever self-care looks like to you from a very practical, pragmatic and potentially professional point of view, whether that is mm. a mental health professional or whatever body work you, you turn to. Yeah. Mm. I think bring it on. Yeah, and it's so funny, though, because, like, my standing psychologist appointment, half the time we talk about work, she's like my business coach. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so we talk about, like, oh, you know, like this new contractor, like, oh, I'm just, again, like just being able to talk about how your personal challenges impact business decisions or mm. business relationships. So, like, my inability to have a difficult conversation, my inability to, like, say my meal is cold at a restaurant like I just sit there and eat it and cop it because of that whole not wanting confrontation like so we're being, taught to be good girls nice girls say thank you smile don't ruffle the water 100 mm. percent. and I think that um just being able to go to her saying okay I've got this situation in work life how does how my brain work and my personality work or not work or avoid or whatever how can I adjust or make a mental switch on what that is and then that completely then impacts in a positive way what is happening in the business decision and I think that's been something that I totally underestimated like totally underestimated yeah and this personal development to be able to have a confrontational or a difficult discussion you know will then come to the table when you're negotiating a pay rise or when you are uh, talking to your boss who might be from a different generation or might be male or you know anything that makes you uncomfortable I think we really really and you're raising two little girls Matilda and and Anthea who are little what eight and five or seven and five you know this is the conversations that we want our daughters to be able to have very forthright and and articulate and be able to express ourselves. Yeah, and I try and I try and bring that language and those conversations home and things. So we do at the dinner table every night, we do bad, better, best. And so each of us takes it in terms of saying anything bad that happened in the day and what was better and then what was the best. And if there was nothing bad, you get to say good, better, best. But even just being, me being able to say, like, I had to have this really tough conversation today. And what I did was I did it first thing in the morning. It was the first thing that I did. Mm -hmm. And I did this and I said this. And the girls genuinely ask questions and they're listening to that. And they will quite often like the next day or um, later on be like, what did they say or what happened or what was the outcome? And like you said, this is a seven-year-old then thinking back on the fact that I had to actually have a conversation that was challenging because well, she's on the bus for an hour each day, each way, each day. Like she's she's negotiating interesting things on the school bus. She's negotiating and navigating the playground. Like this is that that I feel like if if that can be adding to that resilience piece and just even that awareness around you actually need to think before you talk or think before you act um, is good, especially with my younger one who's rather impulsive. <laughs> We all know we've all been there, but I think it's all part of the toolkit is these, these really strong communication skills, which will go from the bedroom to the boardroom. And I think that that's going to hold us in good stead for sure. Um, and you have just nailed these, these massive deals. I know that you can't speak about the particular brands or the, who they are, the corporations, but can you tell me a little bit about what this means and, and what this potentially means for the Grazy Her community? And what what we should what we all need to be doing? Um, I think what this means is that like we are seeing a an acknowledgement and a commitment. I think from corporate Australia, and I think that that is a really Something that we shouldn't underestimate, I think, like that, like I said, that mindset change that I thought I could chip away at without a global pandemic, and I was completely delusional. Um, I think that what we're seeing is that we do have something really amazing to offer in rural Australia, and that's the people that live here. And I think that 
um, you don't need to move to somewhere bigger to do the career that you want to do. And I, you don't have to um, take a hit pay-wise. We are advocating very, very heavily when these organisations come on and I, I blatantly say, don't think you're going to get a bargain here. You, Whatever you're paying people in the city to do those jobs, that's what you should be expecting to pay. This is you're not getting any less of a skill set. You're not getting any less hours out of these people. If they choose to live somewhere that's more affordable than a city, then um, that's their prerogative and that's better for their, their hip pocket. But um, don't think that it's a bargain coming to us. And I think that that is quite confronting for some of them. And I've had some very interesting conversations with some HR managers in some corporate organisations who have said, oh, oh, and have actually found that quite um, quite confronting. So, look, they're not all there yet, I promise. But I think what's really, really important to see is that um, there are organisations that are really big scale that are now realising not only to retain their current staff, that, that flexibility that we talked about earlier, um, that the fact that they are needing to make it more flexible is then meaning they're putting systems and processes and things in place that make flexible working doable and not just doable for people that have already worked there for ages, that now that they've got these systems and processes in place, they can grow their team and they can attract new talent and they can... Um, really get that variety of skills. So the skills like practical skills or things that obviously for the job, but then you get that whole additional layer that we talked around about that diversity piece. Oh, well, that's been so cool. Thank you so much for such an illuminating chat. And there's uh, a lot of food for thought. And I really hope that listeners get involved and sign up and see if what is out there and just, uh, yeah, keep keep their, their horizons open because there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, thanks, Em. It's been great to chat. Joe is proof that good things come from random chats at barbecues. As someone who works from home, it's amazing to know that there's a service that has my back, should pickings get a little slim. If there's anyone listening who has a little glimmer of an idea that they might like to try something different or diversify their income, I really encourage you to check out the Pointer website and maybe put an application in. The world is rich with opportunity and it needs your skills and expertise. Another reminder, it's been a week since the Grazy Her magazine landed on shelves and in mailboxes across the nation, and holy dooly, it's flying off the shelves. Brimming with Christmas ideas and recipes and all things summer deliciousness, as well as some heavenly features and editorials, it really is stacked with goodness. Check it out at your nearest great newsagent, or subscribe online at grazyher.com.au. And in the meantime, don't forget to rate and review our podcast. It takes literally five minutes and it really means the world to us. Thank you so much. Until next time, keep well. This is a Grazy Her podcast produced by Manson and Company.